Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this beautiful Saturday in Colorado. I guess the weather's going to change tomorrow, so want to get outside. But you know what? We're going to have a lot of great weather yet. In fact, it's actually going to be a little cooler, and it's going to trigger a lot of different hunting and fishing activities. We have a short show today because of a college football game, so we're only going to be on for an hour. We will return to uh, our normal schedule next week. You would have known this if you followed us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Uh, Let's go right to the phones because we want to get as much time in with this man as we can because he brings so much knowledge to the show, Mr. Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. I know we're going to talk calling elk, but before you get off the air today, I have a walleye question I want to ask you, so don't forget, okay? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You know, Terry, it is. it, it's just an amazing year. You know, this uh, is kind of a phenomenon on a normal Colorado, you know, we'll say an elk season. Um, normally we are wrapping up our season right now. Uh, and with the new format, we get an extra couple of days to hunt. So we, uh, we basically get a little of an extended season. It's a later archery season than normal. And honestly, the, the elk are in full rut across the state. Uh, kind of crazy. I actually just popped out of the woods. Uh, actually working with both kids on their calling. Uh, and then my, my six-year-old kids were just calling in elk, and that's why I wanted to bring that subject up today. because so I knew I was going to be out in the woods working with my kids calling, and uh, both my, my six-year-old kids called in elk this morning. Uh, we had a, a couple big sixes, a small six, uh, but ha- had a ball doing it, and it, it is peak rut. And that's what we want to talk about, just because the archery hunters are in this peak rut. They're kind of coming to you know the, the end of their season somewhat as, as we go forth the next couple of days. But with it being peak rut, now is a great time to, to have a great successful archery hunt. And everybody wants the calling experience. It's one of those things that it, it, everybody wants. They watch the videos. They read the articles. It, it, to any hunter, hunting a vocal animal like a turkey or even geese, but you throw elk on it, it's the ultimate of the vocal animals. And it, it's the ultimate of all hunting sports, calling in elk. With that, everybody wants to do it, and a lot of times they do it too early. Everybody gets out their opening weekend, you know, late August, early September, and they're calling away. They don't get responses. They kind of educate the bulls, and it's just not quite right. However, now is the time to be calling. Now that these bulls have harems, they're, they're working cows, they're very vocal, now is that time to call these elk. So we just want to kind of give a few tips of, of really how to increase your, your success rate with calling because – there's so much information out there, education-wise, of how to call. And every call manufacturer has got their pros that are, that are telling you how to do it. And, and there's no right or wrong with it. But there's definitely things that you can do that will, generally speaking, increase uh, your success rate of pulling those bulls in. And that's what we're going to talk about today is just how to achieve and, and increase that success. Well, I think there's a couple of points you and I have talked about over the years. And, you know, it's not only how you call, but when you call and if you call the right amount. And I'm sure you're going to cover that before you get into it. This on again, off again, weather where it was cold, hot, cold, hot and now cooling off again. Is that affecting the rut? 
It's not. You know, once they're in it, they're in it. So in the beginning, it definitely had it, but it was for the better. All the little cold fronts definitely helped us put them into the rut. The only thing that the heat does is affects the, the amount of time that they're on their feet. Um, so I literally heard my last bugle probably 30 minutes ago this morning. Um, on, on a warmer day, half the time these bulls are literally bedded down by 7 a.m. And hunters have a hard time with this because we wait, you know, 11 months out of the year to call elk. And, and hunters really struggle that once the bulls bed down that they need to leave them alone. Um, so the heat is going to more affect that. On a cooler morning uh, like today, I, you know, I'm 40 degrees right now. It was, you know, in the 30s this morning. And these bulls stayed on their feet and stayed out of their bed until about 830. Uh, but on a really hot day, they're going to they're gonna go to bed earlier. So that's the only thing it affects. I wouldn't say it's going to affect the rut. It's not going to affect the uh, vocal ability. But it's really going to affect just the time that they're, they're out. So on a cooler day, they're going to bed down later in the day. They're going to get out of their beds earlier. On a day where you have high heat, they're going to bed earlier. And sometimes they stay in their bed almost until evening, you know, almost dark before they get out of their bed. So the heat's going to affect the, uh, the time at which you can hunt them, but, but not necessarily the rut itself. All right. So take us through what are some of the things that people are doing wrong right now or what Absolutely. are they doing right I'd say the, the biggest thing that the average hunter does is you have to always uh, assume that your animal might not be the biggest in the forest. I think so many people watch these videos and they get good with their calls. And honestly, back in the day, the all the calls that we were using were very squeaky. It was a, a whistle. We always called it a flutophone, but it was a very higher pitch. Do, 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 do. And even though it didn't sound as natural, it, it was good because it was a little bit less aggressive. Nowadays, these call manufacturers have really dialed in their calls, whether you're just using a diaphragm in your mouth or using you know, some sort of, of reed on a bugle tube, the bugles are getting raspy. They're, the, the, the tubes are better. Everything is better, and you're really adding a throatiness to this. Now, everybody can tell you that you can judge the size of your animal by the bugle. You know, oh, that one's growling. He's old and he's big. It's not the case. I mean, I've seen the littlest you know, bulls in the woods that sound like they're a pterodactyl. They're so terrifying. Um, you really can't can't tell, but the aggressiveness that you do with that call can definitely kind of relay a, a dominance thing. So I see so many hunters that go in the woods and they just start off right with their bugles and they are sounding like they are the biggest bully in the woods. And oftentimes, you know, if you're calling to a, a massive herd bull, he's probably up for the challenge. But so many times we're calling to these bulls that aren't as mature as, the, as you might sound with your call. And these bulls are like, hey, I'm happy. I have a harem. I have eight, ten cows. I'm not going to risk losing my cows to, to try to gain a few more. Um, if they think it's a battle they can win, they're willing to leave their cows and come try to, to have that battle to gain more cows. But they very rarely go into a battle they don't think they can win. And elk judges, you know, basically sizes up the competition. And if they don't think they're going to win, they take their cows and they, they keep with their life. Um, again, elk are very good about staying happy with what they have. So when I get in the woods, I'm always, you know, a little bit less toned out. So when I start, I always start off with a couple cow calls, real soft. The bull's responding to a cow call and will continue to let me cow call. I, I will continue with that because I'm not risking ever scaring him by being too dominant. A lot of times I can literally walk right into the herd um, by just doing subtle cow calls. Like I'm a cow joining the herd or I'm a cow that wandered out of the herd and I'm sneaking back in. Um, so a lot of times though, those little bit more subtle cow calls, you can get right in there. Um, now, if they're not responding to the cow call, then I'll start adding in my bugles. But when I add that bugle, 
I'm very uh, not not super throaty. I'm starting off with just that nice, you know, almost a whistle, uh, and really coming off the bugle really soft. That's probably the biggest thing is it's the the rear end of that bugle, the the back half that is really going to show that dominance. When you end it with a, a really throaty, hollow sound, um, that's where that dominance is more going to come out. So I really tone it down to where I'm acting like I'm an immature bull to where I give confidence to the bull that I'm calling to and make him want to come in to fight me. And that's how I'm going to increase that success. So number one, less is more. If you sound like the biggest, baddest thing in the woods, it sounds cool, and they might respond, but they're going to respond as they gather the cows and leave. Um, so don't be a bully. Make yourself sound like like you have no confidence and somebody can beat you up. And that's going to be a, a great way to keep these bulls vocal and really suck them in. So that's probably the first tip. The second tip, a lot of hunters get too close before what we call making an introduction. So many people will, will get out and they'll hear bulls bugling and they'll hear cows and they sneak in too close. Um, and there's a fine line. If these elk are, are sitting there and they've heard nothing all morning and all of a sudden you're 200 yards away and you start ripping off calls, bugles and cow calls, they're like, where did that come from? And it startles them and, and it's almost an immediate red flag uh, that something's wrong and, and you're going to make those animals turn and leave. So the biggest thing is when I hear bugles are approaching, I don't really get excited, but I definitely introduce myself. A couple cow calls, a weak bugle when I bugle. I don't bugle at them. I, I turn my tube to bugle away. Uh, again, I'm not threatening them at this point. I'm just saying, hey, I'm an elk over here. Just so as they start hearing elk sounds, as they hear me walking, breaking sticks, they assume there's an elk over there and it's no red flags as opposed to where when all of a sudden you're right on them, you alert them. So really, we, we call it the introduction, but start off four, five, six hundred yards away. Do some slow introductions. The bull's going to be firing back at you. I don't necessarily answer them every time, just every so often. I'm just casually going, and then as I get closer, I'll start, you know, doing a little bit more frequent calls. I'll maybe start turning my bugle tube towards that bull. Um, but again, I'm acting as if I'm I'm two harem in the in the woods coming together. I'm two bulls in the woods coming together. Uh, but the biggest thing is don't get too close before that first call goes off. Introduce yourself. Make sure that it's not a, a direct bugle straight to them and a charge to them. Start off by more meandering, and then when you start getting close, maybe that, that 250 yards, 200 yards, that's when I start getting more directive. I'm, I'm starting to aim right at that bull. I'm walking right at that bull. Um, that's when I'm basically starting to threaten him and, and saying he needs to come fight if he wants to protect his cows. Um, so that's probably the other the big thing. So the, the biggest mistakes right now is being too aggressive, not using your cow call enough. Everybody wants the bugle experience, so they tend to bugle too much, and then everybody tends to wait a little too long before the introduction's made, and they really kind of spook things up. So, so those are the biggest goals um, as a hunter. The last tip that I, I always encourage people to do, everybody looks at their time, right? Nobody likes waking up early. I don't care who you are. I wake up at, you know, between 1 and 3 a.m. every day, but I don't like it. It's one of those things. So everybody plans their hunt. They say, okay, I have an hour hike in the woods. It gets light and, you know, shooting light at 6.30 or 6.20 or whatever it is. Um, you know, so if I leave the truck at, at 5.30, I'm good. I always get in the woods 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half early, and I just sit and listen to these elk. So I'll, I'll get to where my wind's good. I'm not, you know, disturbing the hunt. 
but I'm really sitting there listening to them in their natural behavior. I'm watching how much ground the, the bull covers as he's, as he's circling the cows. You can hear him bugling. You can tell he's running cows. And I really listen to, to what's happening. As I hear other bulls bugle, I'm watching how often he responds. And I can literally can just spend you know 30 minutes, an hour, building some quick intel and just learning this bull really quick uh, before I actually start to engage, before I start getting closer, before I start making those introductions. Um, so that's the other big tip is give yourself time. Uh, even though you might have to wake up earlier and you know sometimes it leads to midnight and 1 a.m. departures, um, it's going to get you further on in, in the quest to be a successful elk hunter. So spend that extra time. Give yourself time to, to figure out the situation, understand the bulls, get your wind right, make the perfect approach. Uh, and those are the things that are going to help you increase that success uh, on a day of elk hunting for sure. Uh, all great stuff, Nate. And you know, just uh, you, you hit it on the hit the nail on the head in the beginning when you said everybody loves the calling sports, whether it's elk or turkey or waterfall. And when you interact with an animal, it's such an incredible hunt. We got about a minute, two minutes left, maybe. I want to ask you. I'm getting a lot of people asking about walleyes from shore. Now, typically this time of the year, I tell people walleyes from shore are very difficult. They tend to move out. They're starting to follow bait fish, but there's always exceptions. What are you seeing out there? Absolutely. You know, you look at, at really, we're going to talk about Cherry Creek right now. Cherry Creek, we're, we're on the boats for the primary source of the bite, but we're working blade baits. But honestly, we're working our blade baits in shallow water. Most of our fish are coming in six to eight feet of water, uh, dropping into that deeper water. The bait fish is just getting ready to, to depart to that deeper basin. But right now, the bait is still very shallow. So I think the shore angler ha- has a great opportunity. And I'm going to break it down in kind of two fashions. If I'm a shore angler... Number one, I'm going to try to find somewhere that has shallow water with deep water near to it. And a lot of our reservoirs do. Chatfield has a lot of opportunities. Pueblo, Cherry Creek. Find somewhere where you can stand on shore and be fishing a flat, um, you know, mud or, or small pebbles or, you know, non-snaggy rocks. And you're trying to find that four to eight foot zone where you can fish that but you want to make sure you have deep water close to it. So look at a topographical map. So many shore anglers think that maps are only for anglers that have boats, but look at a map, see where you have shallow water dropping to deep. A lot of these areas you can access from shore. And I would be fishing blade baits right now, reactionary fishing during the day. Now, the other biggest thing is every night of the year right now, every night our bait fish is coming up in the water column to gain, you know, moonlight, starlight, streetlight. As that bait comes shallow, Oftentimes, it moves towards the shores. So right now, you can almost duplicate what you did in spring. Right now, your dam faces, because those, those shadow crews, those faces in the walls, will push up against them. You can really put a focus on steep shorelines, and you can work jerk baits in low-light periods, evening, all night, first thing in the morning, and you're going to have a lot of opportunity at big walleyes, up shallow, pushing shad. So daytime, reaction fishing, shallow, too deep. At night, really look for those, those bluff walls, those steeper walls where baits get pushed up, throwing jerk baits, small three and a half to four and a half inch bait, really put a big focus on, on your shiny colors, chrome, silvers, and those are going to be the biggest things to create that success. All right, my friend, we are out of time. How do people get a hold of you if they want more information or to book a trip? You can always go to tightlineoutdoors.com. You can look at us up on, on Facebook at Tightline Outdoors, and most of our hunting stuff is going to be on Instagram, just Nate Bilinski on Instagram. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank, and thanks for taking those kids out and teaching them. I really, that, I love that. that. That's a great thing, Nate. So keep them out there. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Play a tango. I 
is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. You know, they're celebrating 65 years of getting out and having fun. And October 1st through the 4th, they're going to celebrate their 65th anniversary and the opening of their two newest stores, the one in Cheyenne and then the second store in Loveland, you know, down Eisenhower, where that Kmart used to be. It's going to be a huge Jack store now. It is. It's open right now. And during the 1st through the 4th, if you go to any of the Jack stores, you can uh, register to win gift cards worth from $25 to $1,000, plus you're giving away clothing and gear, and you don't have to be present to win. Just You just need to stop by a Jack's on the 1st through the 4th. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Bar Lake is Michelle Siebert. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing great, and I know you want to... We want to get up to date on the conditions at Bar Lake, but before we do that, um, today's kind of a special day, isn't it? It's National Public Lands Day, is that right? It is. It's National Public Lands Day. It's a, a great opportunity to get outside, enjoy the great outdoors, but also give back. There's a lot of state parks that are having um, volunteer days, and Bar Lake is one where our volunteer day is tomorrow from 1 to 4. I believe you're also helping out at a new park that's opening, aren't you? I am. I'm actually on my way to Fisher's Peak, which is going to be the newest state park um, just outside of Trinidad. So I'm going down there this morning to help build a trail so they can open up sometime. That'll be fantastic. Now, along with National Public Lands Days, we all want to remember the um, leave no trace rules. And, you know, a lot of people have been getting outdoors and with the extra people out there, and some of them aren't used to being outdoors, it's new to them, uh, kind of remind people some of the, uh, the, the value systems and the things we look for when we're going outdoors. Sure. So the Leave No Trace principles, a lot of us know and generally what they are, but we just want to remind people of a couple of them. And one of the big ones is trash your trash. So take out your trash, dispose of trash properly, plan ahead. That could be knowing where you're going to go hunting or fishing, knowing the weather, knowing the type of safety equipment you need, um, and be considerate of others. Um, Like you said, there's a lot of people getting outdoors these days, and we need to be considerate of others and follow all the rules. Yeah, and I think one big thing is stay on the trails. Um, Those trails were developed so we don't erode all the land. And I know with the coronavirus, a lot of people have been trying to social distance and they'll meet somebody on the trail and they'll go way around. Maybe step off a step or two and wait, but don't go walking because you just kind of widen and it destroys the environment. We want you outdoors. We want you to enjoy it. Just do it responsibly. So for the people getting outdoors, what's going on at Bar Lake? You know, so, um, you know, we're located just 25 minutes east of Denver, so we're a quick day trip. But right now, because of our low water levels, we still have a public fish salvage, which means you can come fishing during daylight hours, and there's no size limits, there's no bag limits um, because of our low water. Um, We also have dove hunting the month of September. We'll have waterfowl in October. And it's really just a great time to get out and enjoy um, birding, the migration, the banding stations open. Our nature center is open Wednesday through Sunday. So enjoying the fall is a great time to come out to Bar Lake. Now, with the fish salvage and the water down, are there opportunities to fish from shore? Is it too muddy? Do you need to get out, like, in a kayak or a float tube? How how are most people approaching it? Yeah, so there's actually a lot of shoreline these days. Um, But, yeah, it's not too muddy. You can fish from shore. You can also still get a canoe, a kayak, or a paddleboard out. 
just know you're going to have to haul it down and walk away, but you can still get out and do that, you know. There's an island kind of out in the middle now. We call it Pelican Island. So you can get out and see all the birds. Um, it's just still a great opportunity to try to put your line in the water. What kind of fish are they catching from shore? Um, you know, we've seen some perch, some um, some carp, some trout, and then some wiper. Okay. So, That's and cool. that'll, and actually, there could be fishing right up through and into ice off until that ice is up there because some of those fish are going to survive. And if you if you get the right weather, there might be a lot of them and they're concentrated in a smaller area until you start getting water. I know you also have a few events coming up, I think a harvest festival and a Halloween event. Yeah, so we have on October 10th, um, we have our harvest festival from 8 to 12. It looks a little different this year because of, of COVID regulations, but you can go to our Facebook page or website and register because we have to limit the people. But we're going to have crafts to go. We have a pancake breakfast to go. Um, we have, you can take your pictures. We also um, raise pumpkins and corn. So we have our own pumpkins and corn to sell. So you can come out and just enjoy the day, go on a hike, but then enjoy our harvest festival. And then we have our Halloween trail on October 24th. And it's an opportunity there again to be outside, be in a safe environment for the kids, and then go trick-or-treating on the trail. And I also, and we don't want to forget to mention your archery ranges. You know, a lot of people are, are wondering why they missed that shot after this last weekend and probably need to get back out there and work on it. Your archery ranges remain open through the winter or not? It, it will, yeah. Our standing range is open year-round. Um, our 3D range will close at the end of October, but we just ordered some new targets for our 3D range, and there's going to be a Velociraptor. It's going to be amazing. So it's a great time to get out to the archery range for sure. What type of a broadhead do you need to kill a, Verasa, a Velociraptor? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who's seen Jurassic Park would not, not want to face that with a bow and arrow. No. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Great, great update. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. You too, Michelle. Michelle Siebert from Bar Lake. Great place. Hey, before we take a break, we're going to come back. We're going to talk. Um, we're going to talk about how some of this stuff gets funded by hunters and anglers. And then later on in the hour, Chad Lachance is going to join us, and we are going to talk trophy trout uh, right here in Colorado in the Laramie Plains Lake. So that it's going to be a great opportunity. You want to stay tuned for that, but. Our good partners at Jack's Outdoor Gear are having their 65th year anniversary, and they are giving away clothing and gear, and they're giving away gift cards between $25 and $1,000. No purchase necessary. You go to any of the Jack stores from uh, October 1st through the 4th, and that includes the two newest stores, the one in Cheyenne and their second location in Loveland, but any of the stores, Lafayette, Broomfield, uh, just stop by. And check them out when you're in there. Just They're just great. If you're an outdoor enthusiast, they have everything you need. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, National Fishing and Hunting Day right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Jim Croce. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Remember from... October 1st through the 4th, they're celebrating their 65 years and the opening of their two new stores. Stop by. You can register to win clothing and gear and footwear 
and gift cards from twenty-five to a thousand dollars. No purchase necessary, and you don't have to be present to win. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Rebecca Farrell. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, anybody who gets to start their more their day by talking to two spark plug women like you and Michelle is always going to have a smile <laughs> on their face. <laughs> she's a tough act to follow, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. She's not enthusiastic at all, is she? Not a bit. <laughs> no. She loves the parks. And, you know, there's a reason for that. You know, she mentioned... Uh, National Public Lands Day, but it's also another special day today, isn't it? It is. Today is uh, the 48th National Hunting and Fishing Day. Yeah, and I think along with that, um, I I don't know if there's any activities, but it's kind of to get a message out. So, you know, we've had a lot of new people getting outdoors and enjoying Colorado's an outdoor community anyway. And we've seen, and I don't know if if an influx outdoors is the right word, but we've seen a tremendous amount of people either going back to going outdoors or uh, starting outdoor activities. Now, some of it's fishing and hunting, but some of it's biking and hiking and picnicking and boating. And there's all these different activities, and people are getting out. They're not taking their normal vacations. And I think National uh, Hunting and Shooting Day, we need to tell people kind of what funds all these resources they get to take advantage of, don't we? We do. And, you know, it's important. We, we recognize at Colorado Parks and Wildlife that not everybody is a hunter or an angler. Um, but it's also really important to remember that those folks who go out and participate in, in hunting and angling and sport shooting end up funding about 70 percent of our wildlife programs. And so if you enjoy hiking and, and spotting an elk in Estes Park or or seeing some some great bighorn um, over in Waterton Canyon, part of the reason that you're able to see those things in such abundance is because we do have such a strong hunting and angling population here in Colorado. It's been the North American model for, gosh, over 100 years that the license users paid for the actual conservation efforts and the habitat improvement. Now, there are some other monies that come in, but there's another source, too. Every hunter or fisherman that buys outdoor gear is also contributing, isn't he? Absolutely. So there, there's a couple of different mechanisms. So, of course, the purchase of the licenses themselves. Um, we also have a habitat stamp, and what that does is really ensure that we have healthy habitats for all of our 960 uh, wildlife species to, to have a healthy environment, as well as the excise taxes that are, are given to us from the federal government from sales of guns, ammunition, fishing gear, and tackle, and, and all of that good stuff. And so it's a huge contribution to the things that keep Colorado, Colorado. And what you said about guns, the shooting public ends up supporting this, too, because that money goes into these uh, is for those resources also. And, you know, people, um, they think about Colorado Parks and Wildlife. They understand the parks part better. I think the average person does. But the wildlife part, they think you're probably just managing huntable game. But the money you get from those license fees and those excise taxes, a lot of that money goes for other than non-game species, doesn't it? Absolutely. So our conservation programs benefit both game and non-game species all across the state. And so things like reintroducing our our native uh, greenback cutthroat, our state fish, um, into native waters, things like the black-footed ferrets, which are always adorable, um, being released over on the plains, and and everything in between. Um, We're taking care of the tiniest toads to the the largest bears. And so um, pretty much any purchase or, or license purchase or the purchases of those equipment, as I mentioned before, goes to contribute to all of the different species that live in Colorado. 
Well, and an important thing to remember too. I know that we see the the we used to see the hug a hunter, uh, uh, hug an angler commercials, and now we see some different types of commercials along those lines. And the idea is to make people aware that the hunters and fishermen, the true people who were outdoorsmen, actually were the initial conservationists. And a lot of people have got on the green and conservation movements since then. But as hunters and anglers, we've always wanted to preserve the resource. And it's important to understand that we know our money goes that if there's good habitat for deer and elk and upland game, there's going to be good habitat for all the other species you named. Another thing, I don't know if people understand how hard... Parks and Wildlife works to provide access. A lot of people in Colorado think, well, we're just this big state with all this public land. But all that public land isn't necessarily available. It's sometimes used for other purposes. And sometimes private land needs to be, we like to add private land if it's the right land. And there's you do some things by going, uh, and it, you do a lot of increasing public access for everybody with this, these funds too, don't you? We absolutely do. And, and one of the, the kind of crown jewels the last couple of years has been the increase to our public access program. And so um, what that is, is that we are working with the state land board and, and leasing Colorado state trust land across the state. Um, and so we've been able to provide um, this year, we, we had a huge enrollment of 210,000 acres into that public access program. Um, and that provides limited seasonal hunting and fishing opportunities on those trust lands. And what's fantastic about expanding a program like like that is that the um, state trust land leases that the funding for those leases goes towards K through 12 education in the state and so honestly hunters and anglers are providing not only additional opportunities for access for the things that they love but they're also providing funding into our education program as well everything comes full circle doesn't it you know you talk about going into our education program and what's going on in our schools struggling to whether to go online or get kids in. And Nate Zielinski was on this morning. He had his two six-year-olds out teaching them how to call elk this morning. So, so it just, there's, there's something about the outdoors, no matter what you do, that just bonds us together and creates memories. Any last comments before we let you go? It's just a great day to think about the resources we have here in Colorado and, and how they're provided. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that it's both National Public Lands Day and National Hunting Fishing Day is just a really um, amazing opportunity to kind of think about and acknowledge the the opportunities that we have here in Colorado, but also to really thank the, the folks who help us get that done. And so, um, again, we recognize not everybody may be a hunter and angler, but it's really important to understand and recognize what our sports people do for conservation here in the state. Yeah, I, well said. I'm not going to add anything to that. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Terry. Have a great day. You have a great weekend. It was like Rebecca thank Farrell. You. We're going to have a time out. We come back. Chad Lachance is going to join us, and he's going to talk about going after trophy trout in uh, both Colorado and the Laramie Plains Lakes. This is going to be worth listening to on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Take it to the limit. The Eagle. You're listening to Terry Wilson Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones because I want to spend some time on this topic. Joining us from Fishful Thinker is Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. You know, we've talked a lot of hunting the last few weeks, but boy, this time of the year is certainly not the time to put the fishing rods away, is it? No, and I struggle personally because, as you know, I like to hunt a lot as well, and uh, we fish you know, all year long, this is the time of year where it's hard to focus on that. But 
but you know, it's worth it, particularly for a couple of distinct bites. And one of them I think is, is probably my, my favorite of all. Certainly camera guy, Tim Farnsworth, one of his favorite bites as well, uh, you know, that we experience every year here in Colorado. And that's this October, November, early November anyway, uh, trout bite that's going to happen in South Park. It's going to happen in North Park going to happen up in the laramie plains lakes and really any of the kind of pothole style shallow weedy lakes that uh that colorado's got a whole bunch of and yeah the, the thing about these lakes is they have a very very high growth rate the, the weeds that live in these lakes produce a major food chain in terms of bugs and everything else and so they have a very high biomass and the trout grow really fast so even though the lakes get a tremendous amount of pressure uh, and even a, a fair bit of harvest, it does not stop the the potential for trophy trout. And to be honest, most of the really monstrous trout I've caught over the years have come out of this style of lake. And there's no better time than now, you know, this time of year going into you know October, particularly October, uh, to really uh, capitalize on some of those fish. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about spinning or antero or the Delaney complex, or maybe Lake John, or Calgary, depending on the year, depending on how they winter killed and things like that. Uh, and also the Laramie Plains, Twin and Hattie and stuff like that. So the key, though, in my experience, has been um, this is the opportunity to put a big, a big bite in front of the fish and have a chance to get them to move. Brown trout are on their, their uh, fall spawn. They're headed towards their fall spawn. And therefore, they're very colored up. They got a lot of color. They've got a big type on their jaw. They're very aggressive. And it's maybe not even a feeding bite that you're getting. It may be a territorial bite. It just may be that they're just angry, don't play well with other type bites. But it may not even be a feeding bite. And my experience has been if I put something four, five, six, seven inches long in front of them, I'm going to get a lot of bites. And as soon as I start downsizing to smaller and smaller and smaller baits, my numbers of bites tend to go away or I start catching more rainbows and cut bows, which isn't necessarily bad, but it's not necessarily what I'm targeting. And when I say a big, a big bite, I'm talking about something that's big and aggressive, um, you know, could be a big long minnow bait of some sort of lipless crankbait, like a Berkeley war pig, a big one though, like a three quarter ounce one. You know, something that's going to give fish a reason to attack it, not necessarily try to eat it. And it's that's been the most consistent. And the other thing I'll, I'll throw out how that fits. It's important to keep in mind that a lot of these lakes are going to fish the best on the windiest days, and there's no shortage of wind in any of those places I'm talking about going fishing. And so the big baits is is a nice, uh, just happens to work out quite nicely that the fish want a big bite and it works well with the conditions you often encounter up there. Well, you know, and the places you mentioned, a lot of things come into play. You mentioned the spawn from the brown trout. And once they do start spawning, the rainbows and some big rainbows will come in to eat the eggs. And then the water's cooling and trout are, uh, they're not a cold water species necessarily, but they're you know, they like that 50-degree water a lot. They really get active. They know winter's coming, too, and they're closer to shore and the surface a lot of times instead of down in the deeper holes. It just all comes together. And the other thing, when we mentioned when we started this, is that there's a lot of people that are trying to choose between hunting and fishing. You approach some of the, probably one of the two best times to catch big fish, spring being the other one, but you're not nearly as crowded because so many people are in the field. Gives you a great experience, Chad. You approach them Absolutely. from shore to boat. 
Well, you know, the funny thing is we've had some of our best days from the bank. If I can take the boat, I like the boat. I'm spoiled rotten, as you know. And being off the bank and throwing around and having all your tackle with you and everything is fantastic. But that also means you have to drive over mountain passes to get there. Towing a boat is not always great for one. For two, um, it's just not always practical. Or maybe you're a guy that's up in, say, North Park or South Park, and you're camping to hunt, and you just want to take some gear. There is no no requisite to have the boat. As you already pointed out, the fish are bank-oriented right now. They're high in the water column. And other than getting around with all your tackle, if you're willing to walk around some of these lakes, there's no reason to have the boat. And the other thing I want to throw out really quickly, because I've taken some flack over the years for putting TV shows on up in, up in like, the North Park Lakes during the brown trout spawn. Yes, you will see brown trout engaged in the act of spawning, and no, they are not effective. I've had long talks with the biologist that manages the lake up there, and they're, they're, those fish are 100% placed in those lakes. The, the spawning activity you will see in those lakes is statistically zero. So when, when anglers are up there, you may see some browns in their spawning activity. That's fine. Don't, you don't have to mess with them. I'm not suggesting you go mess with those fish, but catching a few of them during their spawn cycle is not going to change anything in the population of the lake. It's going to come down to how many of them the parks want to like put back in there the following year and that's always been the case there and several biologists have confirmed that in all of the lakes we're talking about now chad uh, we talked about using the bigger baits i think there's really a tendency in colorado to get a an ultralight rod with four pound tests and throw little baits for trout and i do it at time two times it's the most effective way to go but more times than not, bigger baits, and especially in the fall, bigger, bigger baits. But what about the fly fisherman? How should he approach it? Same thing. I'm, you know, for me, if I'm going fly fishing in these lakes, uh, I am doing it with, with heavily weighted streamer flies or bulky streamer flies, uh, one or the other. And I'm probably not going to do it with sinking line. I'm going to maybe with a sink tip line. But my inclination, the, the more I fly fish and the more time goes on when it comes to these types of presentations, I prefer a floating line with a fluorocarbon leader and a heavy fly. And that way, I'm, I'm only trying to work the top couple of feet of the water column anyway. I'm not trying to get, you know, 10 feet down onto the weeds. I don't want all my fly line underwater. I'd rather have it up on the surface from a casting standpoint. And I want the bait to move anyway. So if the wind's blowing the line around or something, it does not matter. The biggest thing is it's going to a lot of times come down to the motion of the fly more than the, the anything else. A big profile that's moving along quickly and consistently will get a lot more bites than one that's stripped along really slow in most cases. And so that's the route I'm going to go. And I'll throw out this real quick. I caught a really big uh, cut bow a couple of years ago up in the Delaney's, a big one, like an eight, eight or nine pounder, probably an eight pounder. And it had like, uh, I can't remember exactly, but I want to say with six or seven little tiny midge flies broke off in its lip, which is funny because I caught it on a six inch long plug. And the difference in those two is it had been manhandling guys with midges, which means it's for sure eating some midges, but that tackle is not ideal for landing them when there's shallow weeds like that. And with the big tackle, you can land them. And I'd like to point out, if you are going to release them, you can you can get them to hand easier with tackle that's bigger. And so one of the things I advocate if I'm going to fly fish for them, it's going to be a, probably at least a six and maybe a seven weight. And if I'm going spin fishing for them, it's, it's probably my, my bass or pipe tackle 
because I'm going to throw something like a number 13 hit stick or the old school big giant floating rappler, a big one, though, you know, uh, a 13 or maybe even an 18. Uh, I'm going to throw a lipless crankbait. It's going to be like three quarters of an inch. And if I am going to target the cut bows, that's the only time I'm going to put the hard bait down. And at which point I'm going for a, a tube jig that's like three, maybe four inches long. Uh, depending on whether scented is legal or not, it would be a power tube for sure. A three and a half inch power tube and the Delaney's will get absolutely motored by the cut bows. Whereas the hard baits will get absolutely plowed by the brown. So you can really pick and choose your species depending on how you're fishing as well. Well, you know, another thing, it's a great time of the year if you are hunting to, uh, a lot of times hunting isn't an all-day activity. There's peak times, and take a rod with you, and you're usually by some of these places. One last question for you, and then we got to run. Uh, other than these trout, which would be hard not to go for after you got done talking about, where else may be up and down the front range? So somebody who's listening wants to get out yet today before the weather moves in, where might you go? Well, actually, both Horsetooth and Void would be good choices right now. They're really the only ones, honestly, Terry, that I have really good knowledge of right this minute just because I've been getting around a bunch. But Horsetooth is fishing very well right now. Uh, and if, you, if you're still watering the lake, it's low, but there's water. There's one ramp in South Bay open. And particularly if you're adept at using electronics, there's some really decent, consistent smallmouth and walleye fishing going on here. Uh, I'm hearing reports from Boyd. I have not been down to Boyd here in a bit, but I'm hearing reports from Boyd that if your timing is right, the white bass are up for sure. And my experience there this time of year is that it's generally easy picking, just get around the lake and really look for the shad. But if I'm staying close to home, I'm going there. But if it's in the time budget, I'm, I'm getting in the truck and, and trying to make my way to, to North Park, South Park, or Lambert Plains Lakes for sure. Now, Karen and I were out last week uh, using, like, glide baits like a Johnny Darter and a jigging Rapala on horse tooth in about 35 feet of water. And we couldn't catch a small, small mouth. They were all, one was under 15 inches. The rest were 15 to probably close to 20 inches. They were just incredible fish. And when you bite, when you get that bite below the boat on those with a small mouth, you know, you got a handful. Absolutely. And, and, and fishful, fishful thank you guy. Ronnie Casaglione took, uh, took this year off in guiding because he's got a newborn. But uh, he was out the other day. Also, he's making a homemade uh, version of, of that kind of a darting bait. He calls them Ronnie darters instead of Johnny darters. But he uh, he did really well on those on walleyes as well. He keys the graph. Uh, you know, people keep emailing me, where do I find them, where do I find them? Well, wherever the graph shows you. Because, to be honest with you, they're, they're following around with bait. They're moving around a whole bunch. And where they are one day or, or one morning isn't necessarily where they are in the afternoon. So, if you don't have a graph, it could be a little bit tougher. I'd be fishing the steepest banks I can. But other than that, if I've got skills and electronics, I'm for sure going to really, really rely on the graph and then drop straight down on station. I would expect a 20 to 40-foot depth range will be consistent wherever you find those fish on the lake. So I would be looking at that range a lot. All right, my friend, we're out of time, but great information. We will, uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. That sounds fantastic. Thanks a lot, Terry. Lots of hunting coming up. All right. Have a great weekend. Chad Lachance with Fishful Thinker. We're going to wrap this up. We only have an hour today because of a college football game. We'll be back to our regular two hours next week. If you like this show, uh, you know, 
Join us every Saturday from 9 to 11. We talk fishing, hunting, camping, Colorado State Parks. So we, we talk a, just a various number of outdoor activities. Virtually anything you could do at a state park comes up on this show. You have a hard focus a lot on fishing and hunting, but that's our background, and we love the outdoors. But we love anything in the outdoors, going for a walk, a hike, wildlife watching. So we're going to... Um, we're going to wrap it up. Follow us on Facebook, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and follow us our YouTube channel, Terry uh, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Karen for keeping me going. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and football on 104.3 The Fan.